Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything. God, is that even possible in the world that we live in? Right? Is that, that, am I the only one who thinks that way? Like you open up your news app or you just look at the world and it, I don't know what's happening in your world, but I mean, I have to deal with financial burden, with kids, with bills to pay. I know some of you personally are dealing with relationship issues, health problems, stress at work. Then you have inflation on top of all that. I mean, have you seen the price of eggs lately? I'm convinced that our army of egg ladies that provide eggs are angels sent to bless and provide for me. And I thank you for that, right? But it's like, no matter what you do, no matter where you look, there's just bad news. And then you have like, for example, the presidential debates that are starting to warm up. And we know this country is at a lot of peace whenever the presidential debates are going on, right? It's like every moment you pick up your phone, it's just the right amount of spark to ignite the gasoline of anxiety that lives in so many of us. At least it feels that way. In fact, it's most of us. I was doing some statistical research on anxiety today, and according to the uh, ADAA, about 40 million adults in America, about 19.1% of the population age 18 and older, say that they have and they struggle with the mental illness of anxiety. Now that number gets even scarier whenever you pull the focus in a little bit, 31.9% of adolescents, that's 13 to 18, would say they struggle with anxiety. And let's dial it in a little bit more. One report I read did a study showed that 91% of youth and young adults report consistent and significant levels of anxiety that's associated with stress. I did a poll anonymous poll the past couple of weeks with this congregation. I asked multiple questions, and thank you for everybody who filled it out. According to that poll, I asked one of the questions, have you in the last two weeks felt anxious, have had anxious thoughts? And 90% of people that filled out that survey that are in this congregation said yes. So today, we are discussing one of the most prevalent mental health issues that there is. And I want to start off the same way I'm going to start off every single lesson in the series and say that this is an extremely difficult issue. And I am not an expert. I'm not. And in most circumstances, I'm going to recommend you go see a professional that can give you assistance, the assistance that you actually need. I'm approaching this from a spiritual standpoint alone. And while there is a benefit to spiritual spirituality and there are things you can do in your spiritual life to help, it is not always conclusive that way. We are very dynamic and complex human beings. 
and we need a lot of different inputs to make sure we are healthy. So it's undoubtedly complex, and I recognize that in this very room, there are a varying amounts of anxiety. There is a continuum. There is a spectrum. On one side of it, some of us just experience unease, discomfort, right? We get stressed in certain moments. Maybe it's a presentation at work. Maybe it is a test that we have to take at school. Maybe it's like what I have on a regular basis, and it's just an awkward moment, right? You know, you, you start a conversation with somebody, and then you immediately forget their name, and you're just like, okay, and then they use your name because they're a good human being, and you're just like, I don't remember what your name is, but you just continue the conversation, so like, yeah, man, yeah, dude, all right, human, cool, all right, and then you're just like, you walk away, and it was stressful, but you made it through. On the other side of the spectrum, stress and anxiety can be crushing and debilitating. It can completely paralyze people. It, it can move into our physiological, where it creates shortness of breath, heart racing, blood pressure going up. You feel the wall shrinking in around you. You don't feel like you can function like most people can or like you think you should. So wherever you are, Wherever you are on that spectrum, whatever level of anxiety you have experienced or you continually experience, I want you to know God sees you, God cares for you, and God wants to provide you the missing piece that so many of us in this world are missing. A piece that the world can't give you and the world can't take away. A piece that is indescribable and unimaginable. Today, we're going to be looking at a godly leader who dealt with anxiety. If you want to open your Bibles to the story, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's a, I'm not going to give much context to the story. It's kind of a standalone. It's obviously intertwined into a much grander story. But the story, we're just going to look at it from one angle. And we're going to be looking at a king, a godly king, one of the best kings Israel had. Israel had a lot of kings, some really great, some not so great. Jehoshaphat was a good one. He was the fourth king of Judah in Israel's southern kingdom. And like I said, not going to give much context. Just know he's a revered ruler who's, on, who's leading a great country, God's country. And we're going to dive in on verse 1. Look what it says. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Minunites and the Mosquito Bites. And I'm just seeing if you are paying attention. Okay, we're in. Though that probably would be the worst one. There we are. Okay. So these three nations came against Jehoshaphat in battle. They came and attacked. So you have three enemy armies surrounding Judah, right? At one point surrounding. And this right here, this, let's just stop right here. This right here exemplifies why so many people are wrestling with anxiety today. Like, we can usually deal with one enemy coming against us, right? A demanding boss, we can handle that. But it's whenever multiple enemies, whenever we have a demanding boss, and then we have car problems, and then, and then uh, that is adding on to our financial struggles because uh, we have to pay for the car, and then that's adding stress in our marriage, which we're already fighting through. And then you started a diet, and you get to the office, and they have donuts, donut day at the office, and all of a sudden you're like, it's just too much for me to handle, and it's the last straw, right? We mentioned 
teens and young adults, which I've spent quite a bit of time with since I've been here, uh, living life with teens and young adults, studying with them, guiding them, whatever. Just I, I listen to them. And it's remarkable because, and we'll just stick with my generation, though there's a generation uh, under me now, scary, sad reality. Uh, I would just deal with my generation. One of the most anxious generations that there is, has ever been, my generation, the millennials. Now, what's interesting, as I thought and I've looked at the millennials, is the millennials are also one of the most educated generations. We've had access to unlimited knowledge since we were born, the internet. The majority of us have some kind of degree because that was pushed on us and we valued it and we went and got a degree. Even if we don't, we, many of us have access to continued knowledge through things like master classes and online courses. We're the most educated generation. And yet we are also, so you have overeducated, but the least apparent road to success. We're overeducated and underemployed which feels like we are slipping behind whenever things like inflation happen. So what happens with people in my generation is they don't buy a house because they can't afford it. They put it off. They don't get married because they haven't been taught and they have a lot of other inputs that are pushing against having meaningful relationships. And so they postpone marriage and they keep falling further and further behind. And they wonder the real question my generation is asking themselves is, can I even catch up? Where do I even start? What is my next step? And then you have well-meaning Christians will come in and say, listen, if you give your life to Jesus, you'll have nothing else to worry about. And when that doesn't actually work, when that doesn't actually click for them, there is now a guilt attached to that anxiety and they fall deeper and deeper within it. That's just one generation mind that I'm looking at. And every single one of ours has our own journey we're on. So if you are dealing with anxiety, if what I just explained explains you, or you have some other different level, or you are working and loving on somebody who is dealing with their own anxiety, I want to be absolutely clear this morning. Anxiety is a signal. It is not a sin. Your anxiety, your fear is not attached to a moral failing in and of itself. In fact, if you want to make that as clear as I can, let's look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, who the night that he would be arrested and moved to the cross he kneels down and he pleads to God and he basically says, God, is there any other way? I know that this has to happen this way, but if there's any other way that you can take this pain, this cup of pain away from me, I will gladly go down that route because I do not want to die this way. Agony, we know that word, a profound anguish inducing suffering. Jesus experienced agony. He was having what you could classify today as an anxiety attack. He was literally sweating droplets of blood at his, as he pleaded to God, not my will, God, but I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this, but your will be done. Anxiety is a symptom. It's not a sin. Anxiety is a signal. It is not a sin. For example, let me, let me give you a little practical example of this. We were driving the boys to school one morning last week. 
And on our dashboard, a blinking light went off. Now, we're a one-car family. So when a blinking light goes off in the car, it's a big deal. <laughs> it's like, okay, how is my life going to change this week with our car in the shop, right? Luckily, it was just a low-pressure tire, and one of our back tires had low pressure. No big deal. Now, my car didn't do anything wrong. The signal was indicating that there was something wrong with the car, that it needed to be looked at, it needed to be observed, it needed to be patched up, whatever, but the car itself didn't make a mistake. So I went and told somebody, hey, this light went off, you know, I have a blinker, and they said, you know your car shouldn't have a blinker on, right? So I did what any reasonable person would do. I sold the car. I just ditched it, left it on the side of the road. No, of course not. No. It was a minor issue. I went and I patched it. If it was an issue that I couldn't fix myself through intervention, I would find somebody who was trained who could help me. And in the same way, if you're experiencing anxiety, there is nothing wrong. Your car didn't do anything wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. It's an indication that just something is wrong. It's not a sin. It's a warning sign. And this morning, I want to give you three things that you can do when that blinking light goes off in your dashboard. Now, I'm just taking this from a spiritual standpoint. These are three spiritual moves that you can make. We're going to read through the story of Jehoshaphat, what he did as he's being surrounded by enemies. And I'm going to give you three things that you can do when that warning sign goes off. The first one is it's time to pray. It's time to pray. First and foremost, it's time to go to God, to seek God, to give our worries up, to cast them to God who can actually give us a solution or some kind of answer attached to it. Look what Jehoshaphat did in verse 3. So he's surrounded by enemies, and the text is pretty clear. Jehoshaphat was afraid. He was terrified. Another version I read, he was alarmed. You could say he was anxious, as you would be if you're surrounded by three enemies that are trying to destroy you and your people. So what does he do? He sets his face to seek the Lord. His first instinct is, I'm going to start looking at God. I'm going to pray to God. I'm going to look for God's guidance. God, show me what to do. And then look, and then he orders and proclaims everybody in Judah to do the same thing. The enemy is not just coming against me. The enemy is coming against us. So all of us need to participate in looking to God and praying to him for our deliverance. Anxiety, for Jehoshaphat, it wasn't a sin. It was a signal, and it was telling him it's time to look to God, and it's time to pray about the situation. And I want to show you what was his prayer, because it's a powerful prayer. It's a prayer that many of us today forget that we can pray this way too. We'll start in verse 6, and then I'll skip down to verse 9. Here's Jehoshaphat's prayer. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. And then check out this power. Look at this prayer, verse 9. It reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. If disaster comes upon us, be it sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, whatever it is, God, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house. And we will cry out to you in our affliction. Look at this faith. And you will hear us and you will save us. 
Did you know you can pray like that? When you're feeling anxious, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you don't know what to do, you can cry out to God like that. You can make it sound fancy. Oh God, Lord of our fathers, if you want. Or you can do what I do and just, what are you feeling? Help. Help. God, I don't know what I'm doing. God, I am scared. God, I am worried. God, I don't know how to deal with it. God, why is this happening to me? I feel desperate. I feel alone. I feel like I can't get out. Whatever your prayer is, whatever you're feeling, you turn to God, you look to him for guidance, and you just give it to him. Because something happens when you pray. Something happens. Now, obviously, we're gonna, what, I think we know something happens. It touches the heart of God, and God works through our prayers. But something else happens, too, you may not know about. Something happens to our body, our brain. I'm going to show you a research study I found from Dr. Carolyn Leaf. She's a Christian author. And then I went to her website and looked at her biography, which was a mistake because it made me feel puny. Here's what her website literally says. She says she is a speech language pathologist, a cognitive neuroscientist with a BSc, a master's and a PhD in communication pathology and logopedics. I don't even know if I'm saying that one right. With a focus on cognitive and metacognitive neuroscience. I'm going to shoot straight with you. I have no idea what she does. (laughs) My website literally says husband, pastor, father. That's it. That's all I am. (laughs) Clear as day. Here's my point. She's extremely smart, and she did this study, and here's what she discovered. I'm going to just read it to you. She said, it's been found that in 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-period time can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. That prayer has the power to change something physically inside of us. And here's the power of it. Not only, she says, does prayer touch the heart of God, but prayer changes the chemistry of your brain. Let me tell you why that's good news. My brain is not fixed. That's what it tells me. Like my brain will often go somewhere it's not supposed to go, and it likes to just sit there and rest. But what the science that she found, what her studies found in demonstrating, is that the brain can change. It can be molded. It can be modified. And there's a term in science to this. We talked about it last week. It's neuroplasticity, right? It's the molding and the shifting and the changing of our brain. Essentially, the more you think about something, the easier it is for your brain to get to that thought. Think of it like driving through a cornfield, right? The first time you drive through that cornfield, it's going to be a little tough. You're not going to know where you're going. Maybe you'll end up. But the the more you drive on that route through that cornfield, eventually it's going to wear it down until it's as clear as a highway. Whenever you think a thought, you are, mil- you are creating millions and millions and billions of neuro- neural pathways to that thought. God created your brain in such a way that it can do, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that our minds can be transformed, can be renewed, the more we concentrate on something. Prayer can touch the heart of God, and it can change our brain's chemistry. And this is a place where science and the Bible say the exact same thing. That word anxiety in most places in Scripture, it's translated to the word mirmimno, 
I know. Yeah, say it with me. Come on. Mirmnimno. Try it. Mirmnim. There's an M and an N right next to each other. That makes that mirmnimno. It, it feels like you're chewing on something, like you're like you're like you're ruminating on something in your mouth, and that's pretty much what the word means. It means to dwell or to ponder on fearful and anxious thoughts. It's this image of meditating on the negative. In other words, Scripture is telling us we are, many of us, not all of us, many of us are training our brains to be anxious. We're training it. That's what we're doing. We're ruminating. We're rehearsing. We're training our neural pathways to focus on what is negative. Now, thinking about all the things that can go wrong, that's a completely natural thing to do. Everybody does it. You're not wrong, and you're not bad if you do that. We all do it. Prayer, though, is supernatural. Prayer is su- It's natural to think about all the things that can go wrong. It's not natural to pray. And prayer is the thing that breaks that cycle. It breaks the cycle. Because we don't have a spirit of fear. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power and love and, come on, church. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave it a a power and love and sound mind. Sound mind. Prayer breaks the cycle. It doesn't just touch the heart of God. It changes your brain. It's not a sin. You are normal if you feel anxious. It's a signal. Take it to God. Take it to God. Take it to God. That's what Jehoshaphat does. And he prays. He prays this real, raw prayer. Reminds me of Heman's prayer in Psalm 88 that we talked about last week. I mean, look at his prayer. Verse 12. For we, God, we are powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. We don't know what to do. And there's a lot of people in this room who can pray that same thing. I don't know what to do. I'm I'm at such a loss. I don't know what to do when my political party is the way it is. I don't know what to do when I disagree with people, my coworkers and my friends. I don't know what to do whenever I lose my job or that thing that matters most to me. I don't know what to do when my identity is being robbed from me or I don't even know what the next steps are. I don't know what to do when my kids are making choices I wish they didn't make. I don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. But Jehoshaphat says, but our eyes are on you. They're on you, God. My eyes are on you. I'm always looking to you. I'm desperate for you. I need you. I'm thinking about you. I'm trying not to believe the lies the enemy is telling me in my head. They are not true. You have designed and designated a purpose for me, and I'm trying to believe that. Renew my mind. Transform my brain, God. Make it locked on you because I'm called according to your purpose. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. And if it's a big enough problem to worry and be anxious about, you better believe it's a big enough thing to pray about. Give it to God. Anxiety is a signal. It's a signal that it's time to pray. The next thing is it's time to pause. It's time to pause. I mean, look what Jehoshaphat does. We just read verse 12, for we are powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are locked on you. Verse 13, meanwhile, all of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones and their wives and their children. Everybody stood and they waited. They waited. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a doer, not a thinker. 
I build the plane while I'm flying it. Like, I'm like, let's get this thing off the ground. We'll figure it out. And if we fail, we'll fail fast. We'll review, and then we'll get this thing back up in the air again, right? Because here's a lie, and it's, it's a lie. It's, it's my problem I work through. As I tell myself, if I can stay ahead, I can stay ahead of everybody else, then nobody will be able to sniff out what I actually feel about myself. Nobody will, will sniff out that I feel like a fraud. That I don't feel like I can lead people. I don't feel like I can teach. I don't feel like I'm faithful. I don't feel like I'm as good as I need to be. And if I can just stay ahead of everybody, nobody will sniff that out. So I go and I do. And my motto is, why are you just standing there? Do something. And God is screaming back, Peyton, why are you just doing something? Stand there. Or as he says in Psalms, be still. And know that I am God. Not you. And all these problems, all of these burdens, all of these things you're trying to accomplish, all these lies you're telling yourself, they're not yours to carry. Let it go. Be still and know that I am God. There are seasons when God is telling me to just slow down. Be still. Wait, so Peyton, you're telling me I have anxious thoughts that I just need to pray and then I need to not do anything and God will solve my problems. Sometimes, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes he will. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes God will give you a Bible verse that renews your mind. Other times he's going to help you change your diet so you can improve the chemistry inside. Other times he may help you find a doctor to recognize you have a chemical imbalance. Other times he may lead you to a counselor that can help you recognize your drama, face it, name it, and overcome it. Sometimes it happens immediately. Sometimes it takes time. But God is always the source. He is the architect. He is the final product. We tell God about it. We slow down and we seek him. Knowing it may not happen immediately, but we trust that he will provide a solution. Let's continue in the story because it gets real wild real fast. So they're all standing there, all of Judah. You can read this in the, in the story, in the text. They're all just waiting. And a man named Jehoiasel, he's in the crowd. And he get, it says the spirit of God comes upon him and gives him this message to give to Judah and all of Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat and everybody there. And so he just does. And he says this in verse 15. Jehoshaphat says, listen, all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, King Jehoshaphat, this is what God says to you. Let me be your prophet for a second. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great army, armies that are surrounding you. For the battle is not yours, but it is God. And for someone right now, maybe that is God's word to you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. It, it's, it probably feels like there is an army beating down your exterior walls, wanting to come in and destroy you. But don't be afraid. He goes on to say, Go out and face them tomorrow. Why? Because the Lord will be with you. He will be with you. When you're anxious or afraid or overwhelmed, these are signals. They are signs. They are blinking lights on the dashboard. It's a, and from a spiritual standpoint, it means it's time to pray. It's time to give it to God. It means it's time to pause, to stop trying to find all the solutions yourself, to actually seek God in it. And then finally, it's time to praise. And this is the last one. Watch how this story ends. Because it's, 
absolutely bonkers. So Jehoshaphat, he prays, right? He says, God, we believe in you. No matter the calamity that we face, whatever comes across these, these walls, whatever happens, you will deliver us because we know this about your character. God, you are faithful. We know that. We trust in that. And so they waited. They prayed. They fasted. They waited. Jehoshaphat comes. He gives them this order. Go out and face it. And then something really weird happens. And I know I have a very limited knowledge of warfare. But Jehoshaphat and his, instead of sending out an army to face, he sends out the worship team. Look at verses 21 and 22. I'm not going to read them up here, but you can read them. Right? Instead of weapons and swords and artillery, he sends out the tambourine lady and the acoustic guitar and they roll the piano and the praise team with their microphones. They go out to the front lines and they just start praising God for the victory that he had not yet provided them. And then something wild happens. The armies that came there to destroy Jehoshaphat and the city of Judah and all of its inhabitants turned on each other and completely decimated themselves. In fact, it was such an event, it took them three days to get through the bodies. Here's my point. They didn't praise just after the victory. They were praising God before the victory. It's easy to praise God when your anxiety is all gone. That's easy. So I'm not going to tell you to do that. You know how to do that. But it takes faith. Man, it takes real faith. In that moment that you're hurting right now to lift God up in praise. When the, when you, the feeling, when you're feeling overwhelmed right now, when the walls feel like they're closing in around you, to give God all of your praise, to sing songs like the one we're about to sing, that God, you are so, so good. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. Stand up with me. This is not an easy lesson. And there are many people here that are struggling in ways I can't imagine. And the only thing I can give you from a spiritual standpoint are what I know to do because the things I've seen work and have worked in my life. Let's give it to God. Give it to God. Whatever the pain is, whatever the worry is, trust that God is big enough to handle whatever is hitting you right now. Pause. Stop. Stop looking for solutions right away. Seek God and His face. And even as that pain is hitting you and hurting you, seek to praise Him. Second Chronicles 20, 29 and 30 says, The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms, when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side.